I'm Phil Serenides from Penn State Harrisburg and Principal Investigator on EC DataWorks. Hi, I'm Missy Coffey from SRI International. I'm the co-PI on EC DataWorks. And today we launch a new podcast series designed to help those who are working to integrate early childhood data. We want to share a little bit about the history and where the field is headed. We'll be interviewing some of the top experts and state representatives in the country who are going to share their experiences about their opportunities to develop the ECIDS. We begin today with a series of interviews from national leaders who are instrumental in advocating and funding for the creation of ECIDS over the last decade. And to start, we just wanted to explain a little bit about uh, who we are and what we're attempting to achieve. EC DataWorks is a project that Missy and I started in 2016 to assist states with the use of uh, integrated early childhood data. And we've partnered with states to identify information needs and then spent time and resources to develop tools. Uh, we've also worked with states to figure out how we can replicate those tools and there's information about the EC DataWorks project on our website, ecdataworks.org. But the goal of our work on the project in here is to really help improve the delivery and use of early childhood data among state policymakers and practitioners. And this is something that I've been doing for over 10 years. Uh, I started uh, in the Pennsylvania Early Childhood Office at a time when we were developing and launching uh, the state integrated data system. And that's, that's when, Missy, you and I uh, first met, I think, right? You were on a, on a visit, uh, sort of a show and tell of what we were doing in Pennsylvania at that time. Yeah, so I think we met when we were there and I was doing some work under DQC and we were learning a little bit more about early childhood. And at that time, Pennsylvania was the, was the first to really think from a statewide perspective about integrating childhood data. You know, after we met in Pennsylvania, you then roped me into some of the work you were doing uh, with CEDS. And then when the opportunity came for this project to launch... Um, it, it was a great opportunity for us to, to reconnect and work together again. Um, and, and now that we're kind of moving into almost five years of, of this project um, and more than 10 years of working in this space, I think we've learned a lot as a field. Um, I certainly know that um, states are, are making progress and they're asking different questions but also, you know, you and I, we get a lot of requests for assistance and information. And I think the answers that we're giving states to those questions have changed, too. I feel I agree with you. I think there is this idea of over the last decade or so, as we've all kind of had different roles and provided support in different ways, we've learned along the way. And I think that's why this would be a really great opportunity to both hear from those that were supporting this work with us over the last decade and to hear where states are headed, what they've learned along the way. Um, so I think those, those shifts have provided an opportunity for us to reflect, which is what we're really excited about with this series. So we have in this episode some great interviews that you've done. I think we want to get to those. But we also have a number of episodes lined up where we're tackling a lot of these sort of issues or topics where I think the thinking has, has, has really moved forward. You know, we used, to, we used to say all sorts of things about stakeholder engagement and data governance and the positionality of the work within organizations and how to lead them and how to structure teams when thinking about how to define success and how to pace and structure your work. A lot of that has really sort of um, evolved. And so we want to get into each of those topics and we also want to make sure we're bringing lots of perspective from, from experts, both in sort of state government that are actually leading the work and doing the work, but also so many other uh, organizations, perhaps nationally, that, that are part of the space and that are really demonstrating how it, it requires a lot of effort and partnership work, you know, if you're going to be able to really move it forward. So today we're going to take an opportunity to reflect and, and really hear from those who supported the creation of the EC ideas from a federal perspective. So today we're going to start the discussion uh, by hearing a little bit about the history of the ECIDS. I had a chance to talk to Tate Gould, who was a federal program officer when we began to focus on early childhood data, uh, Richard Gonzalez, who helped to draft the RTTELC application and now leads the preschool development grants, and Albert Watt, who advocated for early childhood data systems early on in this process through many um, kind of advocacy roles that he's played over the last decade.
Today I'm joined by Tate Gould from ANLAR. He's a former SLDS senior project officer. Thanks for joining us today, Tate. Thanks for having me, Missy. So Tate, let's start by going back to 2011 when you and I met for the first time. Early childhood was just becoming part of the SLDS. Can you share a little bit about what was happening at that time that was really kind of um, informing the, the work of the SLDS and why early childhood became a, a part of the conversation? Yeah, it was an exciting time, especially uh, when we were both working together and trying to uh, to advance the space. The big push was the SLDS program expanded a lot with the stimulus funds that were injected in 2009 and really it pushed all the states to go bigger with their systems. Up to that point, the systems were really just K-12 focused, uh, but everyone realized at the state level that the data at K-12, if you keep it at K-12, it's not going to tell you the story you need. Uh, you really need to know what's coming into the system and then where do they go to really get the most out of it. So that was that was a fun uh, expansion. Um, and to have the funds to do that and have the national attention to do that and the support um, by the states and by the administration, that was a, that was a fun time. And so if I remember right, Tate, when we, when we were first talking about early childhood becoming part of the SLDS, there was this big conversation that was, what's the difference between the P and the P20? Do you remember that? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so does that align to what you're sharing? I mean, was that a big part of the state conversation, trying to really understand whether P was preschool or prenatal? And how were states responding during, during those conversations? And then, and then on the other end, what's the 20 and is the W and is it 16? And, and I think everyone was wrestling with the acronym Um and, and I don't really know who won and got the P20Ws, but they should have got it trademarked. But kind of on the, the early side, it, you know, and as you recall, you know, it, 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 in terms of providing technical assistance to states and, and the team that we had, the whole atmosphere of the program was always going to be, clearly there is a federal investment in this uh, effort, but we always said it's got to be done at the state pace. It's got to be done where states feel comfortable. And I know we got this question a lot when states were applying is, how do you define the P? Where does it start? And our answer was always, it's defined by where you are as a state. And that I think that state-led was the only way to get this to be a sustainable effort versus uh, more of that top-down approach sometimes that, that might not create that sustainability. And I know you had a lot of conversations with states and, and you know, the, on the early childhood side, you know, from the the common education data standard movement or just the technical assistance, the communities of practice that were set up. And, you know, and I, I think you remember, I mean, there was, it was just different comforts of state uh, and where they were and how they wanted to expand that. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts about those conversations or how states felt comfortable when they were discussing this outside of talking with the federal government. So, Yeah, I, I really do think that data has become part of the conversation that's brought the systems building conversations it actually helped to implement the early childhood systems building conversations, right? It's a tool that brings folks together because everybody, regardless of program, has information needs that can't currently be answered by individual program data. And so by looking across the needs and saying, what could I better understand about the children that I'm serving if I also understand the other programs that are also serving this child? Um, and that's very, it's a different model, right? Because again, there isn't one agency that's providing all services to a child. There's multiple and it really depends on the child and family's needs. And so that really does require a systems building approach to the work and the data can help to inform that work, right? We still in this country don't have very many systems that even have an, um, a distinct count of children, right? So I think as we're looking forward to in the future, having more of that information, the states that currently have it have been able to really make decisions differently about how they're able to meet the needs and allocate resources for these kids and families. It's also fun to see states put that peer pressure uh, on each other. I, I remember when we would go on federal site visits and you would have a state that would say, well, we can't really integrate with early childhood. You know, you've got the, you know, the Head Start program and they would, you know, list some of the excuses or the barriers. And then you just point to another state and said, well, they did it. And, and that peer pressure alone would get them to sit up and, well, I guess if that state can do it, what, what are they doing that we're not? And uh, especially that expansion of early childhood, which is very daunting. I mean, it's a very... It's an intimidating sector to expand to. But at the same time, I think it's one of the most powerful sectors that we have to understand because of that longitudinal nature. We have to understand that on an early side to, to better serve the kids, to better serve the parents, to better serve the providers. So it's, it's, we've got to get our hands wrapped around that. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Tate. And I think the other part of that is, and I don't know, and so a part of this conversation is also the history of even the term early childhood integrated data systems, I think was you were a big part of that conversation. So, um, you know, for others who may not have been aware, right, this started because we were trying to define the, the P and the P20 and understanding that in order to really have high quality data around early childhood, when they were defining what a state was thinking about putting in, you know, defining their their prenatal or preschool, but their age group for the early childhood data, they started to realize that because early childhood had so many different systems, that early childhood is going to have to integrate prior to integrating into an early, into an SLDS. And that only a portion of the data that an early childhood integrated data system would have would be relevant for an SLDS, but that in order for early childhood to really play, um, or to have a, have a seat at the table with the SLDS was for them first to integrate. And so I wonder if you have any reflections from those conversations with states that, um, and kind of that, that definition that we ended up having to kind of make between an early childhood integrated data system and the relationship it has to an SLDS. Yeah, it's a good point. It's, it's, it's a good reminder, I think, to states to say, you've got to integrate yourself within a sector before you try to integrate across, you know, you've got to integrate horizontally before you start integrating vertically, I think is the terms that we would often use. You know, and at the federal level, I think there, there was a difficulty to encourage states to integrate within a sector, to integrate horizontally, whether it's at the post-secondary or early childhood, K-12 is, is, is much easier to do that because of the, the one agency system. So, you know, the, the, the only way that we could incentivize was to have that competitive grant process for the SLDS. And we said, look, we'll, we will specifically fund early childhood efforts within states um, so, so you've got to get it together. You know, you've got to prove to, 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 to a peer review panel. It was not federal um, officials that scored these. It was actually just a peer review panel. And you've got to prove to them that you have, that you have worked together and you've got a, a good game plan, MOUs or a, a charter to try to integrate the early childhood side. And other states are already doing it. So you might as well show that you can do it and you, you can get there. Um, I think that was one big effort was the incentivization of trying to get states to come to, to, to integrate their early childhood. I think the other, though, is what we would always do, which is at the conferences or at events, we would always invite every state. We would always invite all states to come, all early childhood representatives that come from states, and they could learn from, even if they didn't get a grant, and they could learn how states did get grants what the early childhood sector did to try to come together and try to integrate, like you said, Missy. So that was always, again, the federal government stepping back and not prescribing this and saying, look, the states are going to have to learn from each other. And if you don't, then then maybe you're not ready. And that's probably wise that we're not investing federal taxpayer dollars in a state that's not ready for that, where the early childhood you know, sector needs to spend a little bit more time coming together and figuring that out. Tate, you had kind of, you and Emily at that time were really thinking about how do you incorporate more of the federal voices into this to help understand why this might be happening across uh, federal programs. Do you remember, or can you speak to more of how that kind of federal conversation was happening as a result of CEDS and SLDS? You know, you often, you know, hear, like you just said, like the different state agencies, there's these, you know, they cross a, uh, different agencies or they have different silos at the state level. And and you know, I think I think sometimes the finger can rightfully be pointed back to the federal level because the streams of money are are across different departments. And so I, I know the uh, the effort to bring early childhood uh, agencies, which at the federal level, similar to the state and the district, it's spread out across multiple agencies, um, it, but mostly at Department of Ed and HHS. That was a challenge. I mean, we had to go and meet with different folks and, and everyone was willing to meet. But I mean, it was adding this piece or this aspect of work onto everybody's daily schedules, which were already packed, which is, hey, look, I know you're focused on early childhood, but really what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring folks together to have a similar conversation across K-12 and post-secondary. I mean, you imagine going to early childhood folks or post-secondary folks and saying, we want to have a meeting with all of you together. And the first question is, why do we have to meet with, with the other side? Uh, there's Our kids don't, you know, that's a long way away. Or the post-secondary says, that's too far away from us. So it, it, was, it was a challenge in the sense of just trying to get the awareness. But honestly, I think once you start connecting longitudinal data, and, and Missy, I know, I mean, this is all of your work. I mean, this 
everyone realizes that longitudinal data only works when you cross it, you know, over two different sectors. And if you can cross over more than that, the stories you get and the understandings you get are pretty powerful. Exactly. And I think that's what we were really trying to do as a group, right? And so in that time, Tate, you saw and you, you know, we're working with a lot of your federal colleagues on this. Did you see any of that shift happen in your time at the Department of Education? Did you see any significant culture change around the integrated data systems or the longitudinal data system conversation? I did. I I remember the one meeting that I always remember that signified this shift in realizing that we had to we had to cross over uh, sectors or, or industries, there was a meeting between the groups of HIPAA and FERPA. It was probably jointly organized by the Department of Ed and HHS. It was just this understanding of you know HIPAA really covers a lot of early childhood, and so does FERPA to some degree. Um, but you've got these two huge privacy laws that are important. Um, FERPA mostly in the K twelve. Um, and but what are the overlaps, and how do we work together? So there was this meeting that was set up, and of course you've got. I don't know, 15, 20 people on each side. And we all got together. Um, and, and, and of course, just like a middle school dance, the HIPAA was on one side and the FERPA folks were on the other. And we went around the table after introductions and we started with the 101 of HIPAA and the 101 of FERPA. So these are federal privacy folks that have long histories and resumes in the privacy sector. And, and the, the effort was really around early childhood and K-12 data and understanding privacy between those two. And at the federal level, they were trying to figure out what does FERPA mean? What does it cover? What is HIPAA? What are the differences? That was the first effort. And I can't remember when the meeting was. I know it was well after some of the efforts that we're talking about. But that was, that was I, th- I think that was the turning point I remember of saying, realizing that these agencies are going to really understand that they have to work together. And by doing that, they have to do the 101. And I think from there, like you mentioned, the the PDG grants, and there was just so much coordination, not because of that meeting, but that was that was a signifying event or the turn of event that I thought. Yeah. And I think similarly with some of the early childhood topic areas, right, we started to see that at that time there was an interagency work group between Ed and HHS that were coming together to look at policy uh, policy issues. And right, early childhood data became one of those topics. And I think that's why there was a joint uh, resource that was developed and shared, I think it was like November of 2017 that it was released, right? So I, I do think that that history, Tate, and both the work that you had been doing to bring federal agencies together was helping to inform multiple programs at that time. So in a lot of it, I, I could see a direct connection to the conversations we were having with the Common Education Data Standard team and really starting to understand where the duplication that folks at the state level felt like they were seeing, but really came down to different federal program data collections were asking for similar data, but not close enough, that it was really a time of um, for the federal programs to really sit back and say, what are we asking and how do we better support this work? And I think some of that came from, you know, you were one of the first to actually say, hey, we need this technical assistance to support states. So can you tell a bit more about how that came to be and, and why did you see a need for technical assistance to support the grants? Yeah, there was different efforts of technical assistance. And, and at the federal level, I think one time I, I did a survey and I found five different definitions of technical assistance, all the way from monitoring uh, to actual technical assistance and, and everything in between. And I think with the SLDS program, what I noticed that was set up because the program had been around for for two grants before I came on. And, and what I did notice in the community was there was um, there was a lot of state and federal communication. But at the same time, the federal level, we, we didn't have any expertise for building SLDSs. I mean, myself or Kashka Kubzela, who started with the program, Emily Anthony, none of us had, we understood longitudinal data, and we definitely understood the politics of how state agencies work. But the concept of building these systems and when we say something as simple as, hey, you need to connect this with your early childhood stakeholders, what does that mean um, from a technical standpoint or political standpoint? So what we, what we did uh, around 2008, 2009, we designed a technical assistance effort that basically pulled former SLDS experts across the country. And, and, and it's on our federal site visits, uh, we would bring those folks along and, and those experts, and we would all meet for a day. And, and I remember, Missy, you and I would go on a site visit, and I would leave, and you would stay there the next day. And, and it was a different conversation sometimes that occurs when the federal uh, government leaves. And it was really much more of an open conversation, because I think what we realized quickly is that the success of this program is only going to be based on 
how much states move the needle. And, and, and we didn't have the expertise to help drive that. And we had to bring the, that team in. And that stepping back is sometimes the only way to move things forward. Yeah, I think that was such a unique approach now, having done this with so many states, to actually have federal support as a resource uh, for these grants to actually make progress, especially because it wasn't just the federal level at that time that didn't have a lot of experience. We were doing things that hadn't been done before in this space, right? Um, the SLDSs were had more of a history than the early childhood integrated data systems did, right? At that time, we only had Pennsylvania to look to, and, and Phil, who's on this project with me, was the key uh, person developing a lot of that work at the time, right? So I, I do think that there were some some conversations that were happening that needed to be had, but also some capacity building just at the state level so that they could explore and kind of do their own development in a topic that they were, it was very new to everyone at that time. And so I do think that that was a critical part of the technical assistance that you would really kind of thought through, Tate. And I think states made progress because of it. And so I, I do wonder, Tate, kind of on, as you reflect back on that time in SLDS, what would you say you're most proud of um, in, while you were in that role? Yeah, I think that the maybe two things come to mind. I think the first is the federal support that was continually provided, but always balancing the environment and the, and the politics. Um, it never became a top-down program. We would come together for conferences or meetings. The vendor community was invited. The advocacy community was invited. States were invited. The federal government always had a presence. And so I think having that having that to start off when it was just a K-12 program, and then when we expanded it to early childhood and post-secondary and said, okay, what are the equivalent advocacy groups that need to be at this conference? What are the equivalent early childhood agency representatives that need to be here? And how do they travel with the state and, and have their K-12 counterpart come to the same conference with the post-secondary. I think one of the first conferences we had after expanding the program, we actually had breakout strands. I think this is this right, Missy? We had a, and you were, you and the early childhood folks made sure that every state had an early childhood representative and, and had a space to come to and, and had breakout sessions, but then they had to travel almost literally with their uh, K-12 and their post-secondary counterparts. So, and that was, it was a, a bit awkward. It was, uh, you know, we didn't have to do the uh, the seating chart like a wedding, but it, but that was, I think, probably one of the, the things I was most proud of is keeping that balance and, and making sure it was always state-led. And I think the other thing that I've, I would say most proud of is this program has crossed three administrations now, goes all the way back to the Bush administration, obviously increased with the Obama administration is currently with the, the current administration and throughout all three administrations, the focus is still maintained the same, which is states need to drive this. You need to expand. You need to include early childhood. There needs to be a focus. It's run by states. And I, I think allowing that kind of authority and state-led is the only way that this effort has been sustainable and it's continued to move forward. And Nancy Sharkey and Charles McGrew, both actual SLDS experts that are running the programs now, They've really just pushed it to another level of data use and making sure that there's a balance of where states are and their expertise, which unfortunately I didn't have, um, but their SLDS expertise is, is, I think has been really well received by states and by the early childhood community and by the post-secondary communities. Um, so those are the two things I would say. No, I do, I do agree that I think the evolution of the program has been such and it's been responsive to the state's needs over time. And I do think that that is something that the program has done really well. I do wonder, Tate, as you look back, are there things that you used to say or do to inform or kind of work with states that you're like, I wish we had known then what we know now? Yeah, probably most of what I said is, uh, could be categorized as that. Um, there, there's there's a couple things I think that, that definitely um, said. I mean, I, I think the concept of engaging stakeholders uh, was was probably the one thing that we would make a byline. You've got to in involve your stakeholders. And that was loosely defined. Like, you've got to involve your early childhood community. And I don't think that states didn't do that. I think that some, to some degree, I think states needed help with that. I think they needed an understanding of how to bring together a K-12 and an early childhood and a post-secondary uh, stakeholder group. And, and what do you do with that? And I, you know, it, it's it's reflective of the federal level. I know Emily and I were we were rarely in our desks. Uh, you know, we were always traveling around and going to different agencies and trying to get to know folks and at the, our federal counterparts or host meetings. 
and I don't think we ever really realized that what Emily and I were experiencing was exactly what states were experiencing. Um, you know, that challenge of how do you get this on everybody's radar? So, Tate, tell me a little bit about what you're most excited about for the future of early childhood data. Where do you see the field going and what makes you excited? The thing that I'm most excited about for early childhood, I don't think people understand or respect the level of differences that exist in the early childhood space. I mean, I think there's a lot of similarity and parallels in the K-12 because it's one system. Or in post-secondary, you've got you know, two, maybe three different systems that you're dealing with at the state level. But in early childhood, it's such a, uh, you know, in some states, you call it the wild west of of different providers or different, you know, preschools or daycares, or it's just, it's, it's, and it's also, I think, the more of the privatized industry than K-12 and post-secondary, because it's, there's just so much differences that exist in the, in the, in the provider level. And so I think what I'm most excited about is what I've seen at states is when they are developing these longitudinal data systems, it brings a lot of these different providers together. And there's a lot of questions that occur first. A lot of advocacy organizations come and wonder what's going on and making sure that that their providers are being represented and this isn't just being done to them. But I, I, I don't know. I think that I think the longitudinal data conversations, when everyone can understand what can be given back, not just what can be given to, um, it excites a lot of different groups in the early childhood space that typically don't have any reason to connect or to to, to discuss. So yeah, that's a great point. And thank you, Tate, for your leadership on this. I, I really do feel like because of the SLDS program during that really critical time with early childhood and the flexibility then the the resources that you and Emily spent trying to really get other federal agencies involved, it really helped the field to make progress. And so I thank you for your leadership and your commitment to this as you continue on in in other roles now to this topic and really helping early childhood to make progress. So thank you for being here and thank you for your work. Oh, no, it's been, it's been, it's been a fun journey and, and, and Missy obviously working with you and, and the, and the other SLDS technical assistance experts has been, it, it, a lot of learning Emily and I both had from from learning from you and from from others. I mean, it's been a, it's been a great journey, and I'm glad Charles uh, and and Nancy have taken it to levels that I don't think Emily and I could have even thought of. I mean, they're they're really it's great to see it, they're taking it to the next level. So that's that's what this is all about. Great. Well, thanks for being here with us today, Tate. All right. Thanks for the conversation. Hey, Missy, thanks for, thanks for that uh, great discussion with Tate. You know, it's intriguing to me to uh, better understand how this national coordination effort really largely grew out of K-12 and sort of other efforts that were going on. And thinking about the start of this work and how, and how it really got moving when things started happening across states and it became clear that there was going to be a real need for coordinated effort. You know, when you listen to your conversation, I wonder how you reflect back on on your time working with Tate and and the things that were happening at that time. Yeah, I think it was a really unique opportunity. I think that one of the reasons we were able to move so quickly on supporting states and even defining what an ECIDS was at that time was that uh, under Tate's leadership, the SLDS program was at this kind of uh, transition point, right, where it was moving from this opportunity to really look at K-12 data systems to, as Tate talks about, this P-20, right, and, and how that kind of begun to kind of expand out into these other, whether it be workforce or, or post-secondary and early childhood, and he really didn't feel like there was a, a way, and I think what I appreciate about Tate and Emily's leadership at this time is that they weren't trying to say there is a way to do this. They really wanted to say the states are coming to us they're really they're expressing this desire to integrate and really better represent the data that's um, longitudinal with children. How do we really understand what's appropriate to share? You had an opportunity to talk with Richard Gonzalez about what the federal government has done more recently and the ways in which they're continuing to support states moving forward. Let's take a listen. We had an opportunity to talk a lot about how the data system components were really fitting into ELC and then that would evolve into PDG over time. So I'd love to hear your perspective of what were some of the internal conversations 
Well, so actually started even before the Race to the Top Early Learning Challenge. It started when funding was given to states to do state advisory councils and funding was in Head Start and they decided that uh, they wanted to have some entity within the state that was going to help advise governors and make decisions about where early childhood funding should go. And when we gave the funding to the states to create these early child advisory councils, the idea was that they were supposed to bring together people across different departments and represent the different early childhood stakeholders in the state so that they could begin to make those kinds of decisions. It became really apparent uh, from those beginning meetings uh, that, that started in 2009, 2010, that a number of items that kept coming up over and over again by states was the fact that they really did not have data. They had lots of anecdotal stories. They knew how programs were working. They had a good sense from hearing from parents and hearing from staff of of what was making a difference to children. But there was really no uh, meaningful data that was being used to inform decision-making. And so a lot of the recommendations that came out of these state advisory councils was this idea of looking to, in some cases, create, but in many cases, strengthen and data systems, and then also look at ways that they could begin to share data among the various programs. So that started it. And when Congress created the legislation for the Race to the Top Early Learning Challenge, they had listened to our feedback at the federal level and state feedback where folks said, look, if you're going to make improvements in the lives of families and the outcomes for children and getting them ready for kindergarten and, and later school, that you needed to really have not only uh, work on curriculum and work on social emotional development, work on all the development of the child and support for the family, but you also really had to begin to collect data and you had to create data, collect data in a way that it was going to be the right data that was going to answer the questions. So you first had to even figure out what the questions were that you needed answers to. So can you share more about that, Richard? How How is ACF kind of thinking about helping states to do that better? If you think about the Race to the Top Early Learning Challenge, and then you think about the preschool development grants, birth through five, it's all about strengthening systems. And so what we've been trying to do is educate everyone to understand that in strengthening systems involves multiple pieces, right? The real core of the work is to improve coordination and collaboration and integration across programs, across service models, across supports networks that are in place and to create new partnerships. And so what we've tried to do is we've tried to keep emphasizing those pieces with the purpose of ultimately, basically, how are we going to get to make better decisions? How are we going to improve our services overall? How are we going to be able to communicate the outcomes that we've achieved? And ultimately, are we going to be able to create more efficient use of resources? So acknowledging that we may never have enough funds to support all the things we want to do. How do we use the funds we have better? How do we invest in our resources in a more intelligent way? And so we've talked more about, well, what are some of the ways to do that? And I think some of what we've been able to do is show successes that have occurred. Those states that have been braver or more willing to take the challenge on have shown certain progress, certain, certain outcomes that have excited other states. And so we've tried to use part of our role is not so much giving guidance to the states on what to do, but more about allowing the states to learn from one another and getting out of the way and trying to help the states to say, look, here is the ultimate goal we're trying to achieve. Our role is to try to help you to get there. But ultimately, we're in a trial and error environment. And a lot of this is about you finding out more about what makes data work, what makes data systems more effective and more efficient, and then utilizing that knowledge in ways to test your theories within your state based on the systems you have. And so we've allocated more resources for that purpose. We've provided opportunities for states to come together and share, whether it's in person or virtually, and to learn from one another what they're doing. Interestingly enough, with the present situation that we're facing with COVID-19, I actually think because we're all going virtual now, <laughs> one of the things that keep has come up that's kind of pointed out our present situation really basically points out how we wished we had better data to inform decisions we're making now. 
So right now, a lot of the questions have to do with, well, is programs closed? What, what centers are staying open and what centers are serving emergency workers? And, and can we, and which areas are hot spots for the disease? And should we be closing down all programs? And, and what we've begun to see happen in some states, for example, is states that have done a better job of improving coordination and improving their, their partnerships are doing a better job now at looking at ways to support cross-agency efforts. And they're using these their data system to kind of look at, for example, a whole family approach. So one of the things that we, we did with the PDG grant announcement, the recent one for renewal grants, was we asked people to think about universal applications, for example. Instead of having parents come in and apply to 10 different types of programs or services, Let's try to create one place where a parent comes in, a universal application, they submit the application, and then hopefully the state, the program can determine all of the different services and programs that parent is eligible for. The only way you can do that is if you have a data system that's going to allow you to collect the information, look at the different eligibilities across those uh, programs, look at what different services the family has. And so some states are now looking at this way of saying, okay, uh, let's look at what is the what is the the income situation? What is the economic mobility for this family? What in what other programs? What other children exist in this family? And what other services already exist? Are there health supports that are already in place? And they can begin to look not only across early childhood programs, whether that be Head Start and childcare and home visiting and pre K, but they can also look over health services and social services and nutrition services and who's eligible for Medicaid, who's eligible for um, SNAP and, and WIC and so on and so forth. And, and so by having both partnerships already being created, relationships being created, improved coordination taking place, what we're beginning to see is a, an ability or a willingness to share data in such a way that we can make better informed decisions. That's great to hear. I think it's so encouraging to see how states have made progress over time. And the very specific, I think the coordinated enrollment example is a great example of the application of having the integrated data. Um, I know that in our work with states for so long, one of the things that keeps coming up is the the system is not the out like the objective we're trying to meet, right? Having one is not the goal. It's how are we using the information to inform and improve our services to children and families um, in a coordinated way. And so I do think that coordinated enrollment is just one of those really strong use cases for how data could could be used to inform the broader systems conversations. So that is, that's a great example. So thanks for sharing that, Richard. One of the things that the Head Start Impact Study did is it, it showed, first of all, it, unfortunately, it showed that, there, that some of the impacts were not as great as we thought they were going to be. But part of that was because the, the early childhood world had gotten so complicated. And we recognized, again, when we tried to talk to congressional members, we had all these stories of parents were telling us what a difference it made in the lives of their children. But we didn't really have any data about what families were doing differently, what outcomes children had. So when we first did the Race to the Top Early Learning Challenge, one of the things we created was we encouraged states to create a kindergarten entry assessment and to create a tool that could at least look at what is the knowledge of a child coming into kindergarten. And then at least we could begin to track that. So over time, I think what happened is the programs and the field, the the advocates and everyone began to realize that we can't answer the questions we're being asked by Congress. We can't even ask the, answer the questions we're being asked by ourselves. And the only way we're going to get there is to figure out how to get those questions answered. So I think the, the piece about the data, the early childhood integrated data system, is before you can even talk about integrating data, each program has to figure out what data it's collecting. And for so long, the early childhood world wasn't collecting much data at all. And so one of the things that came about as a benefit of the Race to the Top Early Learning Challenge was this expectation of data. We had before that as well. I mean, Head Start had its own requests for data being collected. Childcare had some data being collected, home visiting data. Everybody was beginning to collect data, beginning to figure out what they were doing. But one of the early discoveries was that a lot of the data they were collecting wasn't really the data they needed. It didn't actually answer the questions they needed answered. And they realized 
it's because they had jumped in and tried to meet this immediate need. Everybody was saying, we need data. We need to understand the program. They didn't step back a moment to figure out what is the vision for this data? What is the purpose for this data? What kinds of questions do we really need to answer? And so what began to happen in the early stages is people began to collect data, but then they never used the data because they couldn't figure out what to do with it. They didn't know what questions they were asking or needing to be answered. So I think over time, I think what we find is that, you know, now what we've tried to do is encourage each individual program to ask those questions, to look at their vision, to figure out what are the most important things they need to know. And then as they're doing that, to have conversations with their partner agencies, their partner programs, their partner service uh, groups, so that they could begin to say, what data are you collecting? How is that similar or different from the data I'm collecting? And are we collecting data that we can use together? And so off of the individual data systems, they've now kind of jumped to this discussion about, well, how do we integrate the data? And in those discussions, they've discovered basically that a lot of times they're collecting data that's not comparable. Or more more importantly, they're using data systems that are not comparable. So they can't easily share the data from the beginning. They're going to have to figure out either create a new system or create linkages that allow data to be linked from one system to another. So that is the next level of struggle. But what they've done is they've actually, in the meantime, begun to identify those key questions they want to know. So things like, how many children in the state are participating in early childhood programs and services? Can they get to a distinct count of children? They have not been able to do that. So many children get two or three different services, and each of those services counts that same child. But that means that when you look at a total number, in that number is the same child be counted multiple times. So how do they get to a distinct count of children? That's something that they've been working on. Uh, not many state, I actually, I don't know any states that have gotten to that place yet, but there may be a couple, um, cause I haven't kept up with all the progress being made. States are doing some really exciting work right now. Um, another question is what different combinations of programs and services do children receive? Um, and how do these combinations relate to the child outcomes at kin kindergarten entry or later in school? So if we don't know all the different programs or services a child is receiving, how do we know which program creates the outcome that's most meaningful or, or how the combination plays out leading to an outcome. Where are the gaps in access or the gaps in participation um, in high quality programs? So a lot of the funding for Race to the Top Early Learning Challenge and preschool development grants is moving more children into quality early childhood programs. Well, if you don't know which programs are high quality, then how do you know if you're moving children into high quality programs? So part of the challenge, first of all, is figuring out how do we even know what high, what programs have this high quality? What are the characteristics? Uh, what do we use? We don't have, we're not, we haven't come very far in that yet. And so while childcare has, um, uh, quality rating improvement systems, there's been no real, uh, research that has proven that those particular elements in those rating improvement systems are actually the ones that lead to the outcomes that are desired. And so states have been trying to spend money um, off of these grants to try to look at and evaluate the effectiveness. Are these the right, are these the right elements? Uh, will they get to the outcomes? Do we need to change what we're monitoring and what we're measuring? Um, but ultimately, the, the question is going to be, uh, once we figure that out, then are we increasing, are we increasing access and participation in high quality programs? Are we helping programs that are less quality become stronger in quality? We have questions about child outcomes, but what is the relationship among staff characteristics leading to those child outcomes? So each of our programs have different staff. Some of them have degrees. Many of them don't have degrees. Well, what is the level of education and qualifications and professional development? Is there a mix of those things? Do you need, do you really need a degree to be able to have a high quality program? I mean, that's still argued. Many people say you, you should have a minimum of a bachelor's degree, but there's others who will tell you that's not necessary. And, and so we're still trying to sort that out. Um, what are the kinds of social health serv and, and health services are families accessing? Um, it's important to know what families are 
receiving so that you can determine what they're missing um, and you know services that families qualify for. And that takes us back to that unified, um, that coordinated eligibility uh, process that we're hoping states are going to be, de- more and more states are going to be developed. So these are the types of questions that I think once you figure out the question, you can then figure out the data you need to collect, and then you can begin to collect the correct data. Um, and so this is, I think this is what we see happening in a lot of states. States are, are not, many states are starting to look at the integration of data, but many states are just trying to figure out what are the data questions within individual programs, and then looking to see, do we have some common questions that we can be asking how do we create um, memorandums of understanding, uh, mutual agreements between our departments so that we can share information with each other that's going to better inform decisions? We realize that teachers can't make better decisions if they don't know um, if they don't know um, the information about what their children are receiving and, and how to to help improve uh, the outcomes for those children. So we focus on, we focus on this idea of reducing duplication of effort, assisting in the aligning of policies, identifying modifications from what we're learning, and ultimately better investing in our resources, just using our resources better so that we can get better outcomes. Missy, thank you for sharing that um, portion of your conversation with Richard. Um, We'll also be able to uh, come back to that in some future episodes. Um, But it has been really great to see the level of federal investment in the work that states are doing. Yeah, I I totally agree. The the federal investment for the last decade, I think, helped so much to get these conversations off the ground and, and to really embed data in the systems building conversations in the grants like ELC and PDG that have helped us um, as kind of a country to keep, have this conversation, right, to really understand why we need this. And so, uh, you know, I, I reflecting on Richard's uh, interview, I was really thinking a lot about, one, how wonderful it is that, again, we have another federal program officer who really finds this value, who really wants to see us succeed. Who, was, who has been and kind of continues to be really just impressed by the progress that states have made and has been a big advocate for the states building these um, data systems in a way that really helps them to achieve their results of better serving children and families. Right? And I think that is a really unique opportunity, again, to have somebody else who's been with us um, kind of for this ride for the last decade who has just has been really instrumental and who brings up even prior work, really before we even had the ECIDS terminology, he brings up the idea of the state advisory councils and really the role that they played in and really starting to have the need for more information. So I think it was just a great opportunity to talk to Richard. You know, and the other uh, person who I think also played a, a large role in that time was Albert Watt, right? He was, he's been an advocate for early childhood data in supporting those policy initiatives along the way. So yeah, Albert has been on the ground floor uh, from early on in supporting a lot of the work of the states. I think I think he also has, like Richard, a, a great passion for the work, which is a theme that you see in in states where 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 there is progress. Um, a lot of this um, is is technical work. It requires um, coordination of government agencies. It requires um, a lot of multidisciplinary work, but at the end of the day, it also just requires people who have passion and are, and are you know, intent on seeing this succeed and move forward. Albert has been an external lever for change, I think, through his various roles, um, but certainly has the historical perspective that we're sort of uh, covering here on this, on this uh, intro. So let's now take a listen to some of what he had to say. I'm joined today by Albert Watt, a Senior Policy Director with the Alliance for Early Success, where he leads the Learning Policy Strategy. Thanks for being here today, Albert. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And so, can you give us some context? How did data fit into that conversation? Because you and I met in the policy, the conversations about data at that time. So, can you give us some context about what was happening around data in, in your time between Pew and NGA? Yeah, so I think our work in in early childhood data really kind of was as much about advocacy as, as it was about policy, trying to improve policy. And at the time, I think a lot of us people in our roles were kind of motivated by wanting to understand how early care and education leads to better child outcomes. 
you know, can we understand how kids grow and develop as they get older and then enter into the K-12 system? And then can we use that information to improve our policies and investments in those programs, right? So at the time, we had some credible evaluations, but they were either really small interventions or large-scale studies that are really just focused on pre-K programs and not so much, you know, child care or infantile care or anything like that. And we also knew that unlike the K-12 system, which was kind of more monolithic, early care education was made up of these patchwork of programs and funding streams with different standards of programs and educators, different expectations for child outcomes, different definitions of quality and different data systems all housed in different agencies. So, which is all to say that we had a lot of work to do to get the quote-unquote data house in order before we can really truly understand the relationships between program quality educator quality, and child outcomes. The last time we had a recession was around that time. It was a little before that, 2008, 2009. And there was an opportunity um, with the federal uh, funding around Race to the Top Early Learning Challenge. And really, at the time, a kind of a value placed on evidence-based policymaking uh, at the federal level to really work on this issue around leveraging data and data systems to inform policy. And I also add that we were really taking a page out of the data quality campaign, which did a really great job at articulating kind of key policy levers for change and emphasizing the role of data and data system to inform better policies and, and other continuous quality improvement efforts in the K-12 system. And really thinking about how to do this work, that continuous improvement approach or, or mindset rather than a punitive mindset. So it's not about data to, to impose some kind of like really harsh accountability measures or to, you know, make sure that people, you know, deliver certain outcomes, but really try to think about how data can improve uh, policies and practice in an ongoing basis. So Albert, in those roles, and as this conversation was coming to be, you know, and we were taking, you know, we were really learning what DQC had learned. This is also when ECDC began to form. And, and can you talk a little bit about the role you played in that group's, for, that group's formation? So Early Child Data Collaborative was started um, actually by my current employer, I believe, um, the Alliance for Early Success. It's a consortium of different national organizations who have some influence around um, investments and developments of early childhood data systems. Um, I think my kind of contribution to that, at least when I was at Pew at the Center on the States, because we were working with a network of state advocacy organizations who are focused on early learning, was to kind of bring that perspective into the work in, as, as far as um, kind of the political advocacy uh, landscape and, and what, what might resonate more, so, more, with, more than others in, in different regions of the country, and really also to elevate this issue among the state advocates that we work with so that it, it becomes part of their um, agenda as much as possible. And as part of that, that work, right, there was a lot of conversation about how data systems are really important for the systems building conversations that were happening at that time. So can you share a little bit about why data systems were important for advocating for the systems level work, especially as things were happening 2010 to 2012, right before Race to the Top Early Learning Challenge was announced? I think, um, you know, there was still some debate about the extent to which early care and education, whether it's pre-K or child care or Head Start, and, you know, what kind of impact it had on kids. And I think in some circles was the question was, is it worth it? So, for example, in pre-K, there was, again, you know, some, you know, credible evaluations, but there was enough sort of uh, evaluations that were uh, less straightforward, where where there was some idea about like, well, maybe the the, the benefits don't last, don't don't persist as long as we you know we think they do. Head Start Impact Study. I'm going to have to you know remember when it came up, but I it probably early, a little earlier than that. So I think that was already in people's minds. The evaluation of childcare has never really been like you know that tied to child outcomes, and so so which is all to say there's. There were still a lot of questions swirling around the policymakers kind of community, or even the advocacy community as to like, what does it take to have uh, a high quality early education programs that benefit kids in the short and the long term? And not that data system was the way to prove that, but it was 
it was a missing tool, I would say, in the toolbox that I think some policymakers and advocates felt like they, they need to have in order to help them answer some of those questions. That's great. And I do think that that was a natural kind of uh, use case almost for why the data systems were needed, right? To inform these policy decisions that we really couldn't see across the individual programs, right? Um, how did workforce fit into that? And I know that's a lot of the work you do now. So how did that kind of evolve over the last decade? Um, I think part of the work in the early days and maybe still remains today is because the early education sector is so disparate um, and you know what you would call a teacher in a pre-k setting may not you may not be what you call a teacher in another setting a childcare setting for example there was a lot of work just to kind of, kind of align the data definitions I remember another project that you, you missy you and I were part of the common education data standards I think there were a lot of time uh, spent on like how do you define an educator or assistant teacher across these funding streams so I think there was a lot of work around that. And I think just elevating the importance of collecting data about early childhood educators, uh, I think we still have a lot of work to do. The, the issue uh, around workforce registries was um, something that, you know, I think was on everybody's minds at the time. And how do we leverage those uh, tools uh, uh, in, in a lot of states? And I think to this day, I think it's, it's still an opportunity, but I, I think it, there's still a lot of work in terms of like investing in those registries so that they really represent at least a representative sample of the workforce rather than just kind of who happens to, you know, kind of opt into the registry. Albert, what are you seeing as you've been working with states for a long time and you have a lot of really close relationships with the states? What do states need? I, I think there's still a lot of work to be done to develop better data systems. And I think maybe later on we'll come to this, but I think the, this whole experience with the pandemic has, again, elevated some need for, for better data collection strategies and data systems. I would say that since the time that I've, you know, I kind of worked on the early child data collaborative, I think, think of like two ways and, you know, two, two things that states need and they both have to do with capacity. And I want to unpack that a little bit. I think there's sort of a couple of ways to think about capacity. One is that even if you have a great data system, at the state agency level, you still need a lot of capacity there to leverage that data system and the data to use it and to use the data effectively. I don't know that we paid as much attention to that before, at least in the, when I was there. In around the country in states, the, the the early learning staff, whether it's an education agency or human service agency, they tend to be you know relatively small, especially if if they're in education agencies. And the data staff there are more focused on K twelve, I would say than in early childhood. Um, and, and also the data is kind of used more for reporting and compliance and not so much for policy and, and, and continuous improvement efforts. So I think we need to think, and by we, I think probably advocates, poly, you know, the state agency leaders, those types of folks need to think about what is it within the agency they need to do in terms of staffing and budgets and capacity to really take advantage of whatever data and data systems they have. The other capacity issue and challenge, I think, that um, has been kind of, you know, more uh, front of mind for me is the capacity to actually collect data. In the early childhood field, again, unlike the K-12, collecting data is not as straightforward where, you know, the K-12 system, you might, you know, have a standardized test and everybody takes it from third grade up and then everything gets fed into the data system. Here, if you want to talk about child outcomes and assessments, uh, child assessments, it's much more labor intensive, um, which, you know, we, and, and that makes sense. We don't want to standardize, you know, tests like little kids, like young children. So you do, you, you know, oftentimes you need to send somebody out there to have like an op to do an observation or to sit down with the child even one on one and do some assessments. And then you have to feed that into the data system. And so that just like takes a lot more effort to do that and investments and really funding to do that. Even for things like the quality of the program, you know, in the early childhood field, it's mo it's much more about ob observation. And you know, there are lots of tools, as, as we all know, and maybe too many tools, but there are a lot of tools that early childhood educator education programs use to assess their own quality of the, of the teaching, of the environment. But again, those tend to be also very labor intensive. They, they rely on observation. They rely on inter uh, uh reliability. And so 
the capacity to kind of collect data in an effective and, and reliable way, again, is something that I don't know that we've spent a lot of time thinking about, at least in, in when I was involved in the ECDC, and, and maybe we need to think more about that in the future in terms of what states need going forward. So, Albert, when we're talking about capacity, that you know, there's a lot that can be done. I think we've done a good job in the last decade of identifying that there is a gap in capacity in state agencies. Um, from an advocacy and policy perspective, is there a conversation happening about how we can better support state administrators in building that capacity, knowing that many state administrators come from very different types of backgrounds, um, but will have different capacity needs? For me, I think at least one of the issues here is about leadership and agency leadership. So I don't know, 15 years or so ago, a lot of the advocacy effort was around like, can we get some buy-in from uh, chief state school officers, for example, to recognize the importance of early childhood education as part of a K-12 strategy and K-12 mission. And at that time, it was it was a win to get them to kind of like be on a public record and saying like pre-K or early child education is important to my agency's work. I think now it is not an uncommon thing to hear from the chief state school officers, but I would sort of challenge uh, those people in that leadership level, whether it's the this, uh, chief state school officer themselves or the executive leadership, to really think about like if they really mean that early child education is a core part of their strategy and mission. How does that show up in their organizational structure and allocation of resources? What kind of staffing do they have around early child education? If they have a staff around data and research, to what extent are those people also knowledgeable about early child education or have the capacity to interact with their early child education staff? If they have an office of early learning and there's and if there's a director of that office, where does that person sit in relation to the executive leadership? Are they, are they part of the executive leadership? So that, you know, when, when the agency makes decisions about budgets and, you know, allocation of resources and data and all that, like, is an early childhood voice at the table? I've been sort of spending a lot of time thinking about and, and talking to people about how do we get to that kind of phase of the work. I appreciate the work that you did early on to set the, the country up for this conversation and continuing to be an advocate as we continue to move forward and to think about how we refine and continue to build systems. So thank you for all the work that you do. Phil, did you think that you would still be talking about early childhood data when you left your role in Pennsylvania? Oh my goodness. Um, if not, I should have. It's been, it's been 10 years since um, I, I, I left my, you know, my tour through state government. And I, th I think like you, I still consistently have people reaching out to me um, with questions, wanting to know about Pennsylvania, asking for advice in various, you know, um, things that are happening in different states. I'm always happy to have those conversations and, 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 and help if, if I can. Um, it's, it's been something where the, the appetite for, for information, for connection, for understanding where the field is and who to go to for answers, it's just, it's, it's increased. Um, and so it shouldn't be surprising, which is why we decided to move forward with the EC Data Works project that works directly with state professionals, just like, you know, when I was there, when, when you were working in LA and, and other places to, to really collaborate and have a, um, an outcomes-driven sort of um, partnership where we're moving toward real solutions and real tools. And, and that has really helped us, I think, gain some perspective too as to what could be useful for the state moving forward. Just Missy, as someone who, who has been helping states for a decade, is this where you thought we would be 10 years later? Uh, yes and no. I think we know that change takes time and that these data systems were not going to be quickly developed, um, that we know that the state agencies are in a position where they're shifting their role as data producers, where they were providing accountability data to being more of data consumers. So I think, Phil, you're right with this, the shift that has kind of been happening as data is expected to be used um, and as more data is available in new ways, right? So there's this culture shift that is happening um, 
in early childhood, I think in particular, where we've had a lot of siloed systems, it's been a naturally fragmented system for so long that these programs are now starting to talk. So as we continue to work towards um, kind of systems building work in states, this the idea of having integrated data has been really, really important, right? So we know that creating data systems um, is a dynamic process. It's fit within a complex system of early childhood, right? This isn't a small... Uh, activity at, at any means. So I'm not surprised that there are still only a handful of operational data systems and that even those are continuing to evolve. Um, I know that some folks are still surprised by that. I'm, I'm glad that we have this opportunity to reflect and say, what did it take for those that are operational to even get there and the amount of time so that there is some realistic expectation. Um, but yeah, I think we'd still, I, I mean, I, I was hoping, I guess, and being optimistic early on that we would have more of them by now, but I think we've learned along the way that it's just not easy and it takes a lot of time to build that culture where there's even enough trust. And I think we're going to hear about that from some of our, some of our interviews, about the trust that's needed to do this work well. Um, so I, I think so. But I'm, you know, I think we're the, the work that we've done, I think the work of EC DataWorks has really helped to kind of promote the conversation. And I think as we're seeing this new kind of new, new staff are coming in, the kind of second generation of ECIDS leaders are coming into place and without having this historical context, I think that they are really trying to figure out how does the work that they do moving the ECIDS conversation forward also just kind of fit into what has happened historically, which is I know kind of the point of what we wanted to have in uh, the discussions about on this podcast. So I'm glad we have this. We will be certainly focusing on on lessons learned, but I think also one of the things that we're going to sort of use to structure the episodes to give a sneak peek um, is thinking about what are some of the resiliency factors that can be built into to state analytics. And by that, we mean what are some of the capacities or the conditions that really help to promote the, the integration and use of data. And, and in doing so, we'll, we'll reference how, how we've updated our thinking. But we also want to be aspirational, too, and, and hopefully we can provide some, some perspectives and voices about what, what we hope will be coming soon in the future. So we thank you for your time today. We're really excited to share future episodes where we're going to hear from state leaders who have managed change um, and the impact on building resilient data systems. You can learn more about uh, the project and the work that we've done at ecdataworks.org. And you can find future episodes and blogs related to the topics at ecdwcommunity.org. Thanks for listening.